chasm that lay between us how high the mountain i could not climb in desperation i turned to heaven and spoke your name into the through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul the work is finished the end is written jesus christ my
Good morning, church, or good afternoon, or good evening. Whenever you may be watching this right now, we're glad that even if you are not able to join us in person today, for whatever reason that you are able to join uh, online and at least uh, participate in uh, hearing the word of the Lord and have uh, a chance to sing along with us through the video and those things, we hope that you're doing well. Uh, my name is Drew, and I just want to kind of let you know what we're doing as we jump in today. First of all, if, if for whatever reason you're watching this uh, and you have not actually gotten plugged in at Sunnybrook and you're interested in knowing a little bit more about that, there will be a number up on the screen that should flash up, and you can text the word CONNECT to that number, and, and that will... Uh, send you a little form that you can fill out online and let us know who you are and how we can reach out to you. We would love to do that. You can also just call up to the church office if you're interested. Uh, we're continuing our series today through the book of Psalms, and today we're in Psalm 15. So I want to read that to you as we begin the day. A Psalm of David. Lord, who can dwell in your tent? Who can live on your holy mountain? The one who lives blamelessly, practices righteousness, and acknowledges the truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue, who does not harm his friend or discredit his neighbor, who despises the one rejected by the Lord, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his word whatever the cost, who does not lend his silver at interest or take a bribe against the innocent, the one who does these things will never be shaken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Sunning Brook, and I'm glad to be with you this morning um, after having a couple of weeks in which we were all blessed to hear uh, the word of God proclaimed from those two psalms in which uh, both Zane and Morgan um, were able to uh, help us understand them. And again, the purpose of this series is designed so that you and I might have um, a new vocabulary or a, a broadened vocabulary, a deeper understanding of what it means to worship and respond to the goodness and to the greatness of God. Um, we are praying alongside of you that this series has really been uh, a comfort uh, for those of you that need comfort, a challenge for those of you that may or may not want a challenge. We, we hope that it uh, begins to give, like I said, a vocabulary or a way for you uh, to see God and to appreciate the goodness of God. Um, these psalms have been somewhat all over the place, but we've tried to pick a series of psalms um, that are uh, able to explain our own experiences, but ultimately um, that we are able to, uh, to, to love and to worship together and to be thankful for who God is and what God has done. So this morning we're going to be in Psalm 15, so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open it there. You heard the text read to you, and this text begins with a rather interesting and, uh, uh, and, and powerful question. We've had a couple of Psalms that have already been given to us where uh, there is an invitation. Come, let us worship, and come, let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. So we dealt with that particular Psalm, but... But this one isn't an invitation as much as it is a question. The psalmist, David, asks this particular question. We see it right there at the beginning in verse 1. Lord, who can dwell in your tent? Essentially what David is asking is who are the ones who would have the boldness 
to just come in and live in that the word there in the Hebrew that describes live is, is not the kind of live where you set up permanent residence. It's not that kind of live. It is the kind of live where you set up some kind of temporary proximity. And, and who would dare come into this sanctuary and dare to live or dare to approach or to be in the presence of God? Now, what's interesting about that question is I think you and I can look at this space or think about this room, and you and I could think rather easily, well, everyone can, and everyone's invited, and we want all to come. That's how this text is kind of coming to us. But what we actually, when we go back and look at the scriptures, what we find is that it's a little more complicated than that. It's, it's, it's much different than that. When you go back and you see the presence of God and particularly the people of God entering into the presence of God, it's not something that's just assumed. That we see when Abraham is finding himself on his journey, stumbling into the presence of God, there is wonder um, there is fear, there is trepidation. I did not realize that the place where I'm standing, this is Moses in Exodus 3, I didn't realize that the place in which I'm standing is holy ground. So to just feel the audacity or the boldness to just march into the presence of God and I'm here. Um, that, that's not the way the Old Testament prophets looked at it. That's not the way the Old Testament children of Israel looked at it. No, to come into the presence of God um, takes a tremendous amount of courage because they recognize God in his splendor and in his greatness and they're very, very aware of their own brokenness. And this is a repeated theme throughout the Bible. The great prophet Isaiah is in the temple or the presence of the temple of the Lord, Isaiah chapter 6, and he sees the Lord and the, the fullness of the Lord's, the train of his robe fills the temple. And Isaiah doesn't go, glad to be here. Hey God, what's up? No, he is reduced to rubble in some sense. For indeed, he sees the holiness of God. He sees the seraphim flying around and calling out. It says, and they were calling out to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah looks and then looks. And his response is, woe to me. I, I, am, I am ruined. I am torn apart. For indeed, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. And so this question is a good question. David asks, who can dwell in your tent? Literally, the word there is, is describing what we know about before there is a temple. So in the time of David, there isn't a temple. There is a, a tent or a tabernacle. And, and then David goes on in that rest part of verse 1, who can live on your holy mountain? So David is describing who are those people who have um, the courage or the boldness, or, or better yet maybe what he's asking is, who are those that can come into the presence of God and not just be completely undone? And interestingly enough, there is a response. D David doesn't seem confused by this, but he goes back and the answer is very simple. The one who is blameless, that's who it is. Look at how this unfolds in verse 2. The one who lives blamelessly, practicing righteousness and acknowledges the truth in his heart. 
Who does not slander with his tongue? Who does not harm his friend or discredit his neighbor? Who despises the one who who is rejected by the Lord, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his word whatever the cost, who does not lend his silver at interest or takes a bribe against the innocent? He has a list of expectations of those people who can walk confidently into the presence of the Lord. Question, Lord, who can enter into your presence? And then response, the one who is righteous. And you and I hear this, and the truth is we're, we're, we're Bible scholars. We understand how the Bible works. And when you hear that, who can enter into the presence of the Lord, the one who is blameless, the problem is you and I kind of trace through with that. Well, you listen, we need to be careful. We need to be reminded about our brokenness One of the beauty of the Psalms is that it really comes to us. I thought you saw this in the last couple of weeks, just the authentic way in which the writer of the Psalms, whether it's David or somebody else, is able to look at the difficulties of life and the goodness of God. They're able to look at the struggles of life and the goodness of God, that they're able to kind of trust the brokenness that exists in their own lives alongside of the goodness and the greatness of God. And it is the honesty that we see in these psalms that I think just resound within us. And so with the question, who can enter into the tabernacle? Who can enter into the presence of God? Who can become one who can stand upon his holy mountain? And the answer is the righteous one. And what you and I have a tendency of doing is um, taking a look at certain biblical principles and, and really removing the tension too soon. Because I know what you're thinking. Who can enter into the presence of God? Well, the answer is those who are blameless. But then you and I go to Romans chapter 3, or or better yet, we we could go to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and you and I can just quickly say, well, if it's just the one who is blameless who can enter into the presence of the Lord, well, then no one can enter. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20. Again, trying to want to stay kind of more close to the genre or the time period. You don't need Paul to be the one to remind us of our brokenness, of our sin. Now, we, we see this constantly in the pages of the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20. There is certainly no one righteous on the earth who does good and never sins. So therefore, shouldn't the psalm go kind of like this? Lord, who can enter? Who can live in your presence? God, who can come into your tabernacle? Who can climb up the mountain and stand in your presence? And then shouldn't the resounding response from God be, no one, none of you can? That's not what David says. David says the one who is righteous, but you and I quickly jump to this But we're all broken, but we're all messed up, but we're all sinful, but we all take even the good things of God and we use them for our own purposes. Everything we touch, we pollute, every relationship we're in, we cause harm all the time. In every instance, there is nothing but brokenness and we can become overwhelmed by that and and really miss the point of Psalm 15. Psalm 15 is not here to to create some kind of restrictive fence. What what Psalm 15 is doing, and this is why it's important to kind of read it, and particularly like where you find it in this section of the Psalms. Remember Psalm 15 comes after, I know you think you can follow the numbers, right? Psalm 15 comes after Psalm 1. 
And, and Psalm 1 doesn't seem to describe nobody as being good, nobody as being worthy. So I, I hear you. I hear the question, who can live in the temple? The one who is blameless. But none of them are blameless. So how can we ever enter into the presence of God? Well, what we actually see in Psalm chapter 1 is that there are those who are righteous or, or, or in that sense blameless. Again, what the word here for blameless does not mean sinless. It does not mean perfect for Ecclesiastes 7.20 or Romans chapter 3 verse 23 are true. For everyone has fallen sin, or have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. But that's not what's being described here. Psalm 1 actually offers this incredible picture. Do you remember? This incredible picture of, of those who delight in the law of the Lord, who meditate on it day at night. They are like trees planted by streams of water who are productive and fruitful. They are righteous. They are not like the wicked who are like trees or like uh, people that don't have any life or substance in them. They're not like the chaff that are just blown away. No, there is something sturdy in them. That's Psalm 1. Psalm 23. I know it comes after 15, but Psalm 23 describes the, the Lord is my shepherd and I have everything that I need. And, and then it begins to describe God the provider, God the one who is going to protect and give and take care of. And it says, and you will lead me in righteous paths. That's the same word for righteous that's actually found here in, verse, in, in chapter 15. You will lead me in right paths. See, I, I, I get it. You and I are broken and you and I are sinful and we need to remember that. We need to remember that every one of us are in need of God's kindness and God's mercy, of, of God's forgiveness. We are all in need of that. And, and by the way, the psalmist recognizes that. The psalmist isn't saying, how can I create a barrier and only let those people who are righteous like God into his presence? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, in light of the goodness and the greatness of God, in light of his holiness, in light of his decrees, and in light of his righteousness, who would now then dare enter into the presence of God? And that is hope for us. Because I think one of the concerns that I have for us as a people or even for us as a church is that in our attempts or in our desire um, to be honest about our brokenness, we stay in our brokenness. To be honest about our sinfulness, we stay in our sinfulness. And so we never get a sense of God's righteous standard. We never have an awareness of uh, the goodness or the power or the transforming work that the Word of God and the Spirit God do inside the people of God that in the end we're, we're so quick to celebrate and to be contrite and broken of heart that we never live up to the glorious standard that God's word provides for us, that we never truly live in the hope and the, the purposefulness of, say, a Psalm 119, that we're so busy worrying about uh, the warnings from, say, Psalm 73, the back half of it, that we never enjoy the fullness of being able to come into the presence of God and being grateful for his kindness to us it is important for us to, able, to be able to work through individually and corporately all of the Psalms. Have you had a favorite? Um, each of us do. We, we, we like certain Psalms and we like certain Psalms for certain reasons. 
Uh, one of the reasons why uh, we wanted Morgan to preach that last one, and when we were sitting down and, and, and I wasn't able to be there because I was headed to Mexico, and who really would love this? And, and Morgan's, mind, Morgan's name came to our mind and to our memory. I think she would really, really like this. There's something about this psalm. Do you remember how she preached it? There's something about this psalm that really resonates in her. Hey, Zane, which, which psalm do you like? Hey, Drew, which psalm do you like? Hey, what psalm do you like? There are something in these psalms that resonate in each of us. Psalm 62 is one of my favorites. But it is important for me to kind of broaden my horizons. So I don't just sing the songs that I like to sing, but I learn to resonate with those psalms that are a little bit outside of my, my comfort zone, my, my spiritual comfort zone. And that is why I really like Psalm 15. Because what it reminds me is not that only the good are able to enter into the presence of God. Because the Bible doesn't know about somebody who is only good except for the one and he is still to come. What the Bible is describing that to just come boldly into the presence of God by some kind of internal presumption or internal goodness is just out of place. But also after being in the presence of God, after living inside the presence of God, shouldn't the people of God change? Like shouldn't the word of God do a work in our lives and shouldn't it call us to a level of holiness and goodness? Like shouldn't the spirit of God, I'm speaking a little bit as New Testament believers, but shouldn't the spirit of God begin to produce the fruit of the Spirit? And shouldn't the goodness of God, this holy, holy, holy kind of God, begin to produce a holiness within his people? And, and that is what the psalmist is recognizing. Seeing the greatness of God's presence and then beginning to see the goodness of God's presence begin to transform the people of God into the righteous people of God. See, I guess what the psalmist is warning against is what Jeremiah is going to warn against in Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah warns in, in, in chapter 7 that what you don't want to do is to go in and out of the presence of God presumptuously and then live your life any way that you want in ways that are particularly unrighteous. That to enter into the presence of God and then to leave the presence of God and to never recognize righteousness or God's holiness, for it to never rub off on you, for it to never begin to take root inside of you is to truly not worship. Here's one of my concerns. As we've been walking through this series, and we'll just kind of narrow it down to that time frame, as we've been walking through this series and you have heard the word of God proclaimed, and, and you've heard in Psalm 1 or Psalm 23 or Psalm 119, as you've seen these psalms that are being presented, are you recognizing any kind, any kind, small as it might be, any kind of transformation in terms of who you are? One, one commentator put it this way, that sometimes we can look at this truth. Who can enter into the promise or to the presence of God? David says, those who are blameless because God is holy. And then when you and I just default, well, then none of us, none of us are. All of us are broken. Sometimes we can use that kind of brokenness as just an excuse to stay in our failure. And I'm telling you, that is not biblical. 
The grace of God in the Old Testament, fully realized through the work of Jesus Christ in the New, has not been given to us so that you and I can stay in our brokenness any more than somehow to pretend that we are righteous would allow us to boldly enter into the presence of God. No, both are failures. But what this psalm is describing and what you and I have to find joy in this morning is that who can enter into the tabernacle, to the tent of God? Who can enter into his presence? Who can be on his holy hill? And the answer is like those who are righteous. Those people who are aware of the righteousness of God and the brokenness of them, and they are able to move beyond it. So here's how I want us to think about this. Rethinking this question, who can live in the presence of God, let's go back and say, yeah, this psalm tells us it's the one who is blameless. And then, thinking through this theologically, you and I are honest about our brokenness and the truthfulness in the word of God that, yes, we are sinners, So no one is without blame, but we don't stop there. Abraham didn't stop there. Noah didn't stop there. Uh, The children of Israel, those that were faithful, did not stop there. David did not stop there. Sure, no one is without blame, but there are those who are faithful to God's faithfulness. And that's what the psalm is celebrating. Let me say that again. There are those who are faithful to God's faithfulness. And this psalm then says, enter in. Come in and and recognize the goodness and the greatness of God. That's what Isaiah is seeing in chapter 6. Isaiah is able to recognize the holiness and the righteousness that God is and that God represents. He is very much aware of his own brokenness But notice how it doesn't just reduce him to rubble and then he stays there. Then the question comes out, and who will go for us? Here am I, send me. And then he is cleansed, and then he moves out in ministry. So Isaiah understands the goodness of God, the brokenness of him, and there are a lot of Christian people, I hope this isn't you this morning, that just always kind of stay in the holiness and in the brokenness instead of experiencing in the midst of our brokenness God's kindness to us, God's restoration of us, God through the use of his word, restoring us by the presence of his spirit, turning us into a once broken but now forgiven and loved and redeemed, and I'm going to say it, righteous people. And by the way, you need to understand, this isn't just a New Testament concept. If we were to go back and look, Genesis chapter 6 It describes Noah, and here's the way it describes him, not as a terrible broken person. No, the world is completely broken, but it says in Genesis 6, but Noah was a righteous man. Oh, you're telling me Noah wasn't in need of God's favor? Oh, he was so in need of God's favor. He was so in need of God's grace. But Noah was righteous in the sense that he was able to be faithful to the faithfulness of God. This is what we see in Abraham. By the way, there's a long list of them in Hebrews chapter 11. A long list of broken people who in the presence of God recognized that they were not going to stay in their brokenness and who recognized that they were going to trust with their limited and human capabilities in the goodness and in the power of God's word and in the power of God's spirit. And now you and I have that spirit dwelling in us that we did not stay in that brokenness 
Who can enter into and live in and celebrate and find pleasure and purpose in the presence of God? Those who are righteous, but none of us are righteous. Amen. But because of God's goodness, there are those of us, and it goes all the way back in, Gen- in, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says this about Abel. Abel is looking at his own um, uh, acts of sacrifice, and you know what it describes, those acts of sacrifice? It describes them in Hebrews chapter 11 as his righteousness, in his righteousness. And so what the Bible preaches so consistently from Genesis all the way to the end are these things. God is holy and righteous and good. We are made in his image. We, because of sin and the sin of our first parents, we are broken and marred, but God is good. And God has persisted with us. And God has made a way so that the presence is not just for those who are perfect, but for those who are marred and broken. And when they enter into that presence, the goodness and the kindness and the the, the faithfulness of God begins to infect them, begins to affect them. It begins to transform them. And that is why you have people like Noah and like Abram and like Moses and like Joshua and like David are aware of their sin but it doesn't keep them at arm's length from God. It definitely teaches them how to approach God and it allows them to find a celebration like we see here in Psalm 15, a celebration of God's plan and God's purpose. That's why I think it's it's good for us to recognize that in Psalm 23 and in Psalm 24, that same word for righteousness is used. In Psalm 23, God leads us in righteous paths, in right paths. And in Psalm 24, it describes this ability to be in the presence of God because he has redeemed us and he has taught us and he has put us on the right path and now we are able to enjoy his presence. I I get deeply concerned. I'm speaking about my own life and if this spills over into yours, then we share this in common. I find it too easy to remain in my sin to be aware of my own sinful choices and the consequences of those choices. And when that happens, I find myself, oh, it's just, it's hard to walk into the presence of God. I'm just too aware of my sin. There is um, like a pride in that. I would even argue there is a spiritual laziness in that. that. That is not the purpose of even the Holy Spirit's conviction upon our own conscience. The purpose is to draw us into him so that we can find forgiveness. We can find a restoration of presence. God is not desire, from Genesis to Revelation, God does not desire for us to be constantly at odds or far away. He desires us to be close. Other people just quickly diminish or find um, No humbling effect when they enter into the presence of God. In end, they kind of charge into his presence as though somehow it's a right to be there. They are not aware of their sin. They're not aware of their brokenness. And both of those are not Christian responses. To allow your sin to become too heavy a weight that you cannot experience the loving forgiveness of God is not Christian. To be ignorant of the sin in our lives to boldly enter into this sanctuary every week and to never come to grips 
with the righteousness and the holiness of God is not Christian. To be Christian is to, be desi to, to desire in ourselves to be in God's presence, to recognize what is broken, and then to recognize what is good, and then to be restored. And this is the picture that we see throughout the Bible. And what Psalm 15 gives us is this incredible picture of our own purpose in life to come into the presence of God rightly. Let me read back again, looking at verse 2. Who can enter in? The one who lives blamelessly. The one who practices righteousness. The one who acknowledges the truth in his heart. This is a description that is very big, both in Proverbs as well as in the Psalms. The one who speaks accurately with his mouth that which is happening inside the rest of her or himself. It says this, who does not slander with his tongue, who does not harm his friend or discredit his neighbor. You'll actually see a kind of an outwardly growing progression. That which is happening inside of me, that which happens to those of my neighbors and even into the rest of the community. That there is an uprightness. This isn't self-righteousness. This isn't the kind of righteousness that Jesus warns against, that the Pharisees exhibit, or what Isaiah warns against in Isaiah 33. It's not that kind of, kind of self-righteousness. It is a recognition of God's word being worked out in their lives. It is them trusting in the faithfulness of God, and that faithfulness is, produces within us righteousness. It says here in verse 4, who despises the one rejected by the Lord, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his word whatever the cost, who does not lend his silver at interest or take a bribe against the innocent. The words of our mouth, the way we look at money and the way that we're generous and the way that we are kind, those who have truly encountered God can see a transformation in their heart and in their speech in, in, in the way that they use the resources that God has given them. And that's what this psalm does. This psalm invites us into this daring adventure where you and I dare to enter into the presence of God, not because of anything that we have done, but because we are aware of our brokenness, but we know that he is still good. Paul speaks about this in Romans chapter 4 in verse 3. As he is trying to wrestle through, if you look at the book of Romans, he has already spoken rather boldly. So we're going to look at chapter 4, verse 3. But chapter 3, verse 23, which is that great verse that all of us know, for all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. So that verse is, has already been spoken, and yet we're going to be talking about a righteousness. Where does that righteousness come from? Well, I think we know. Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, for what does the scripture say? speaking Old Testament, that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness or as, some translations, as righteousness. So the kind of righteousness I believe that even David is writing about in Psalm 15 is not self-righteousness. That's not what makes the tree grow strong. Self-righteousness isn't what gives me a sense of protection and peace. It's the shepherd. It's, it's what God provides, and all I have to do, and this is the repeated theme of the Bible, read Hebrews 11, believe, have faith, to know the goodness of God, 
and, and to know his plans and his purposes. And it begins by us being willing to acknowledge um, the brokenness within us. But, but please don't stay there. Recognize that God has a plan and a purpose for us. He has instruction to us. The Psalms come to us as instruction. Why? To teach us how to worship and to love and to live in the presence of God. You don't need to sit on the sidelines of life and you don't need to sit on the sidelines of worship or church. No, that's not God's purpose for you. You don't need to stand outside and feel like this is a place where you're uncomfortable. I get what you're saying. But you do know that God's plan and for your purpose is to come in and to sit down, to hear truths about him and to hear truths about yourself. And then by the power of the Spirit, to recognize that you are now invited to believe that in spite of your brokenness and your sin and your rebellion against God and the right judgment that could fall down upon you, that God is merciful and kind and gracious. And he has sent someone. This is what we know. And as we wrap this up, we, we cannot escape that we are living on this side of the cross. It would do a disservice even to the one who wrote this psalm to somehow fail to recognize that you and I have a whole different way in which we can look at this. Who can enter into the presence? Who can live in the tent? Well, I know who. Someone who is now declared righteous because of what God has done. Listen, I said there are those who are faithful to God's faithfulness, and you and I are doing that on the other side of the cross. And that is why I think it's appropriate that we end our time together um, not by just an amen on that psalm, but we end it by recognizing who can enter into the presence of the Lord, who can dwell upon his holy mountain, those who are righteous. And by the way, even this is not done by our sake. What you and I do when we believe in Jesus Christ is we are giving credit to, we are giving praise to, we are recognizing God's faithfulness to us. This, the body of Christ represented in this bread, is the picture of God's faithfulness to us, of God pointing out to us our brokenness and our need for a Savior and his goodness in providing one. And so we come into this place and we hold this bread in our hands, being thankful for God's faithfulness to us. So let's take that bread and eat And with it, the cup, representing his blood, which is the atonement of our sins, making us righteous, but nothing by anything that we did, but by putting our faith in what Jesus Christ did for us. And so we take it and we drink. And so I hope this morning, as we reflect on this time, whether it is the body and the the bread of Christ, which gives so much better meaning to Psalm 15. But you and I can celebrate and give thanks for the truth about God. He is holy and who can enter into his presence? Those who are blameless. And like the Old Testament saints from the, from the past uh, to New Testament saints that live now and worship in this place, thanks be to God for his faithfulness to us. 
Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. We are uh, you know, continually grateful for God's provision and protection over us. Uh, we want to remind you, um, like we do every week, that we love you and care for you. For those of you that are watching um, on the online service, um, we continue to, uh, to, to pray for you, and I hope you continue to pray for us, those who are worshiping in person. May we continue to be the people of God. If there is anything that we can do to help love and to care for you, I hope that you are reaching out to us so that we can make sure um, to do exactly that. Um, there's a number at the bottom of the screen. I want to remind you of our, uh, the incredible privilege that we have to continue to give to kingdom purposes and to, to, to kingdom things uh, here at Sunnybrook and as well as around the world. I want to conclude our time in corporate prayer 
in light of Psalm 15, how can we be aware of God's holiness, be aware of our sinfulness, and then be aware of God's faithfulness in spite of that, which is a call to holiness? And so I want to just spend a few moments just, I'm going to say a brief, God, we thank you for, or God, help us remind us of, and then I want you to pray just silently, or if you're in your home and you want to just kind of pray together, that's great too, but kind of a moment of silence for us to lift up our our prayers to God. So I will lead, and then you follow along with moments of silence. God, we thank you for who you are and for what you've done, and so we stand here right now, mindful of just how holy and righteous you are. And especially in your presence, God, we are um, aware of our failures, of our sin, of our rebellion, of our brokenness. And and Father, we pray that you would um, make us aware of that, of our need for you. But God, I pray we don't stay there, for that is not where you leave us. And so may we, in light of your holiness and our brokenness, may we find joy and redemption and restoration in what you have done for us through Jesus Christ. And so now we just stop and we give you thanks, God, in your presence for the new lives that we have in Jesus. We ask all of this in his name. Amen.